on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. It's Tuesday the 12th of December and this is Game On. Coming up on the show, it's Champions League Tuesday. John Fallon and Mark Langdon are with me throughout the programme. Will we see a GA player in the NFL? Connor McKeown has the latest. Plus Alex Kobe, up and coming motorsport driver, will join us to tell us about her career so far. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or find us on X at Game On 2FM. On 2FM. Now, welcome back, John Fallon, or welcome even. John Fallon, a football correspondent with the Irish Examiner, is with me in studio. There are two early Champions League games um, already underway, Lons and Sevilla. It is nil all there, and Arsenal are in action against PSV Eindhoven, and it is also nil all there. We'll be across all of the scores throughout the hour and keeping you up to date. Uh, how are you, John Fallon? I'm good, Marie. How are you? Good. Thank you very much for coming in. It's uh, It should be a quiet time, but it's actually a really busy time in the world yeah. of Irish football. December, yeah. Routinely a quiet time, but quite a lot happening, as you know, like FEI AGM last Saturday and Iraq is here and tomorrow. That's only off the field. Then we have two managerial mm. vacancies, uh, one of which will definitely be filled before Christmas. Uh, second may run into January, but yeah, it's not uh, it's not the downtime that maybe people perceive it to be. Absolutely not. Yeah, you'd be flat out trying to get the stories and uh, get some scoops. So look, the I suppose the most pressing one, the one that we're expecting to be announced any day now, is the women's manager, um, Eileen Gleeson, has been interim. She had a brilliant uh, Nations League campaign, but it doesn't look like she's going to be in the hot seat once the manager is announced. She could be, but it seems a bit unlikely. Who are the front runners? Yeah, so it's uh, unlikely to be oily and yet it seems quite bizarre if you were to ask someone outside uh, about an interim manager who'd won all six ma- uh, matches. It would seem strange that she's not in contention, but she ruled herself out quite early in the process. Um, from covering the team, the last window, she's probably more circumspect about it, but um, from what I understand, uh, it won't be Eileen. She'll be reverting to her job as the head of women and girls football uh, and it'll be someone else. So, you know, there's been a few contenders. I know this has been ongoing since the end of August when Vera uh, Powell's contract wasn't renewed. Uh, Mark Hannum has been leading the search. He's the FEO's director of football and there has been a series of interviews. I know Packy Bonner, uh, a board member is the head of the international um, committee and the FEI and Neva Mahoney also on the board have been involved in that interview process so um, I think we're going to have uh, an announcement in the next certainly in the next week or so from what I understand it's down to the, the final negotiations um, so we'll have to wait and see who it is <laughs> You sound like you know something there John and you're not telling us are they male, female contenders have we, have we any idea? Um, a bit of an idea, but it's 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 quite marginal, mm. you know, from what I hear going into the last two or three. Um, but listen, let's 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 be upfront about it. There was a number of contenders. Obviously, you know, go back to Colin Bell, yeah. who was there before Vera. He made no secret of the fact that he would unfinished business. Then, if you look at Irish people who are in the game, you've got Alan Mahon. Um, who's at Manchester City he's the assistant manager there for a number of years um, because it's Mark Canham and Jonathan Hill both ex-FA uh, there's a number of contenders maybe mm-hmm. who are working in that space there who wouldn't necessarily you know be, be right out with the senior team and then of course you know you, you, you come back here and you, you look you look at Eileen's credentials and if it is Eileen if Eileen's not interested in it well then maybe the next one in could be Colin Healy who would be 
Um, you know, former Irish international, managed Cork City for a couple of years as a pro license holder. Seems to be quite popular with the players during the interim period. Um, so he would certainly, you know, have credentials that would that would merit um, consideration. Um, so if it was to be one for continuity, you would think that Colin is right up there. Um, but I just don't get that sense. Yeah, and it's a it's a real tricky one because whoever comes in, it's going to be a lot of pressure, John, because their mm. matches are going to be of a higher caliber and the transition is going to happen as well because there are some players that will be coming towards the end of their career so there's going to be a lot to it yeah because you're straight into it as you say like the the uh, because we've done so well um winning that league b group we're, we're in the top tier of nations for the european qualifiers which means we're going to be in with one if not possibly two one of the you know the, the top 10 teams in Europe um, so you could end up in a group with England and Holland or w- one of those teams mm. um, so this these six games in League B were probably what they needed after such a you know a turbulent time post World Cup and all that went with it so I think they sort of gone back to basics Um They've certainly playing with a different style, but you could argue that that's very easy when you don't have teams who are pressing you, yeah. and like in Northern Ireland, who would be predominantly part time. You won't get that 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 time and space when the game starts early in the spring. So it is a pressurised job because the expectation is there. We qualify for a World Cup. The Euros is not as difficult to qualify. Um, if we finish in the top two of the fourteen group, we go automatically, and we're more or less guaranteed to play off already. So yeah, it is pressure, but you'd like to think whoever's taking the job. We'll relish that yeah of course it is opportunity as well so what on what about the men's side um, it's been reported by um, many people I think including yourself that it is that there's two people emerging as the front runners Chris Hewton and Lee Carsley yeah both ex-Irish internationals who are currently in employment um, so you know when Stephen Kenny's contract was obviously wasn't going to be renewed these two would have been linked with it and Lee Carsley you know probably even since he was being linked to it he's gone in the summer and won the European Championship with England under 21s um, Lee as you know is probably well documented is someone who tried to help the FEI in a previous guise and seemed, seems you know really uh, takes pride in his Irish links Um now whether he would <coughs> leave the job where he is at the moment because they're in the middle of a campaign and there's also potential there for promotion as is, as Gareth Southgate has done um, is, is, is a hard one to call but the FEI Jonathan Hill confirmed at Saturday's AGM that all the candidates who they wanted to they've spoken to uh, when asked whether he, they had sought permission uh, from relevant employers um, he said he just couldn't disclose that information for fear that it would narrow it down um, but as I said both of those people are in job Chris Hewton is due to uh, lead Ghana into the African nations and the timeline that they're talking about is the draw for the Nations League which is the 8th of February in Paris so that's sort of the drop dead date where they want someone in Paris mm-hmm be at the draw and say well we're going to play these teams in in, in, in our group later in the year I think ideally you'd want it well before then because um, there's been a clear out of the backroom staff as you saw after Stephen went no one has been retained which I think is right because the new person will want to start um, with, a, with, with, a, with a clean slate um, so you have to get those people in place so um, I would think that will will, will probably move re- certainly quicker than the women's has and we should have if not by the back end of December certainly in January someone in place or someone being offered a job at least Okay so it could be a promising enough start to 2024 with 
two managers in place soon enough uh, we hope anyway so we can move on mm. um, it's difficult to move on from anything though with the FAI because they are in the headlines a lot and this time well tomorrow it possibly could be for the wrong reasons again because they are up in front of the Oireachtas Committee on Tourism, Sport and Media and they are set to tell them that they have reformed significantly um, I'm sure they have lots of other um, bits in their opening statement as well but they are going to be challenged on quite a few things um, including Jonathan Hill's pay uh, but the frustrating thing for me and I'm sure for lots of people is that this is a time where we should have been talking about their facility strategy and it's going to be completely overshadowed by governance issues yeah it is that's that's what really started to unfold it since the start of November once you know once details emerged of this issue and uh, it's interesting that the FEI declared that they've reformed you know um uh, significantly, I think that was the was the uh, mm. adjective they put on it. Like I was set through the AGM, EGM on Saturday, a, a full, full five hours of it, and you certainly wouldn't come away from that forum thinking that that was the case because the way this issue has been handled, um, and I know it's going to be teased out tomorrow, certainly left a lot to be desired. Um, so tomorrow, like the FEI have, I know they have been back in that forum in Kildare Street. But it, this is the first real serious one, I suppose, since 2019 when we had those famous marathon meetings with, you know, John Delaney and his board mm. and what came afterwards. So it is going to be, I think we're sort of in damage limitation stage here in terms of what they can salvage out of it because uh, this whole saga, I still think there's unanswered questions about it, but the details of who knew what and when. Um, Roy Barris, the chairman who uh, was there for four years or almost four years, he has been requested to attend and is attending, I believe, and a lot of the focus will be on him. And Roy has made his position quite clear um, in this and that he feels it was the right decision, even though that practice is contravened in the FEI's own handbook. And it also had the effect of bringing them into breach of what's known as the Memorandum of Understanding. And without getting too deep into that, we did have the delay in funding, which, as we know, for an organisation like the FEI who are straddled with debt, um, that's a very serious situation. Now, that's since mm -hmm. been allayed, um, but I still think that there's going to be details which are going to have to be extrapolated tomorrow and maybe on some un uncomfortable questions. Will we get any insight to their vision for that um, investment and facilities plan or will it just be focused on governance, do you think? Uh, no, I think if the FEI had their way, they, they, they would all be about facilities. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's where they're going to try and emphasise. But like looking at the agenda, you've got the COSI report, which basically Sport Ireland commissioned to look into the to the payments to Jonathan Hill. Second item is about gender balance, which I think was resolved on Saturday uh, in terms of the constitutional changes. Yeah. They will have six females early in the new year, which will bring them over to 40%. And then you the last two items are to do with reforms Start at district level and also sports capital programs, but that facility strategy you mentioned, like that was unfurled in the summer, like looking for eight hundred and sixty-three million um, over a fifteen-year period, most of which is is coming from the state. So, um, yeah, I think there will be some time devoted to it. But you got to bear in mind the format of tomorrow, like it's half one to half four, but you've got fourteen committee members, each of whom are entitled to ten minutes speaking yeah. time. We've become accustomed to watching these Rockets hearings now, so we're kind of familiar with them. Well, well there you go. That's over two hours in, yeah. in itself. Plus, you've got the FEI's opening statement. You've got the to and fro. Mm -hmm. So um, it's very hard to predict. 
anything other than a very cumbersome, um, fragmented okay. day tomorrow. Right. Well, tune into it anyway. Mm. And the thing is, though, football just keeps on rolling, and we're at the the time of year now where there's transfers happening. The fixtures are going to be out for the League of Ireland on Friday so all of that is is going on in the background to these governance issues yeah the clubs are getting on with it and um, yeah a couple of couple of deals today you know for uh, clubs who went either way Cork City who got relegated through the playoff um, I suppose their first priority was getting a manager which they eventually did and Tim Clancy and I know there was some frustration I know from covering Cork with, with, with the lack of signings when other clubs were but they uh, they certainly was worth the wait for today's one, which is Jack Doherty, um, who admits himself it started been a long time coming. I know they've tried to get Jack um, over his career, like he's twenty nine at this stage, and uh, scored eighteen goals for their neighbours Cove last year. Um, and uh, excellent player, Jack. I spoke to him at the start of last season when Cove played the opener down in Kerry. And he actually took the decision himself basically to stay part-time for personal reasons. He's a new baby and he was working, I think he was a milkman at the time. Um, so it'll be interesting to see exactly what arrangements he has when he goes down to Cork because as far as I know, they're staying full-time. And then the other one coming the other way was Galway who ran away with the first division and we have Gary Buckley a uh, 30-year-old defender, he's gone from Sligo to Galway and that's a reunion with John Caulfield, who he would have won the double with in 2017. Uh, I think that transfer had been fairly much flagged a long time ago, but it does give them a bit of experience and steel uh, that they're going to need in a, in, a, in a tough campaign. And yeah, clubs are already back pre-season to see see pictures of Shelburne, Damien Duff putting the lads through their paces on the on, on <laughs> It the feels cold, very early, cold. is it? Is it? Uh, from what I gather from speaking to a few clubs I think it's sort of in a in a, in a bit of a um, sort of introduction stage they're having them back for fitness testing and then they'll get a couple of weeks off at Christmas but straight back into it on the 2nd of January because you say the fixtures are out mm. this Friday uh, started early to, to mid-February so there won't be much time they're straight into pre-season friendlies and we'll be back having domestic football thankfully yeah okay uh, John stay with us we're going to bring on uh, Mark Langdon now to have a look at the Champions League and the rest of the European football news how are you Mark? Oh, hi Marie yeah, I'm good thank you do you have as much drama with the English FA as we have with the FAI over here? <laughs> um, we used to um, yeah there, there used to be kind of um, several stories a day um, <laughs> it has calmed down in, in more recent times I was just listening in um, there and um, yeah, I, there was a time when um, the the English FA just uh, wasn't being run. I don't think how kind of most people felt that it should be, and it could be more professional. And um, there were um, uh, yeah, plenty of issues. And I think that actually, it's one of the things that Gareth Southgate has been um, championed for. You know, whatever happens, sort of um, you know, with his tenure and whether he does win a trophy or not. I think he's brought. About kind of a professionalism with, with the FA that kind of and a calmness to the situation that that just wasn't there previous. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that you know um, we were jumping from you know Sam Allardyce, for instance. And so um, yeah, there, there, there has been a period of calm, but um, probably not that far away from uh, more sort of dramatic or wonderful. Okay, well, look, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We might have a, a, our own period of calm here, but look, we won't. We won't hold our breath. We'll see how tomorrow goes, and then we'll take it from there. And we're looking forward to football coming back anyway, so we can start focusing on, on that. And of course, the two managers been appointed. Uh, there is Champions League football tonight. Um, a big night in Champions League, really, for Man United. And just for people that aren't aware, could you bring us up to speed on, on what they need tonight to try and progress? 
Yeah, well, they need snookers um, first of all. So um, they, they 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 need the other game in the group to be a draw between Galatasaray, uh, um, Copenhagen. They need to beat um, Bayern Munich. Um, you know, neither of those is um, you know going to be easy. I think you know even if Manchester United had it in their own hands, um, beating Bayern Munich um, hasn't looked something within their compass, has it? This um, Sort of season, um, really. Um, you know, Bayern were humiliated themselves um, at the weekend, beating five-one by Eintracht Frankfurt. Although some people think that that actually is the worst possible result, and um, you know, because they've already qualified and won the group, they kind of haven't really got anything to play for. But they they'll want to put what happened in Frankfurt, you know, completely to one side. So. Um, you know, Manchester United. Um, I, I don't know how many times we've spoken about this on on this slot. Just you know, just sort of lurch from one crisis to another. Um, difficult to see how they can even keep up their part of the bargain. Yeah, and I, I think the, the Harry Kane factor is probably going to add a lot of intrigue and lots of people building it up today as what might have been if he'd made that move to Manchester United. Was it ever really that close, Mark? I, I, I think there was definitely was some interest um, at one stage from Manchester United in Harry Kane, but um, it also needs to be said that I think United, in more recent times, if you go back to the summer they've just had, they were talking about financial fair play um, concerns that they've had, and that was maybe why they made one or two of the signings that that, that they did, and they went for, you know, a, I say cheaper, it was still pretty expensive, but Hoyland. Um, with somebody that they believe can be the kind of next striker for the next five, six, seven years, rather than maybe Harry Kane, who, um, you know, got, you, you'd hope a couple more years left in him, but it isn't sort of the future um, of, of, of the club. And I can understand why United sort of balked at the um, asking price from Tottenham, the wages that Harry Kane is demanding is pretty chunky. I mean, United are you know, spending a lot of money on, on wages anyway, so they probably could have gone for the wages. But it was a big um, outlay. I think I think the time for United to have got Harry Kane was probably a couple of seasons ago, you know, when he was being linked with Manchester City. But I don't think that, that Tottenham wanted to sell Harry Kane then. You know, they, 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 they knocked back the bid from... Manchester City and I actually don't think that Harry Kane going to Old Trafford solves you know a lot of the problems there because you know they bought good players um, this is a team that spent an awful lot of money buying players you think of someone like Jaden Sancho and um, that it feels like every single player that goes to United or most of the players that go to United get worse um, and that can only point to issues like way above um, you know, just who they sign. You know, it comes down to the manager, the recruitment, the owners. I think everything is just wrong at the moment uh, um, at Manchester United. And you know, I, I'm not sure that even Harry Kane is as much of a banker as people think he would be. I, I'm not sure he would be able to to definitely succeed in, in, in a club that's as broken as what they are at the moment. Yeah, I guess it's consistency really and, and thinking are they going to be able to put in a performance and it's hard to see it tonight. So what about Newcastle? What do they need from their group? Yeah, so um, Newcastle um, have got, a, a, I suppose, a, a better chance. Um, they need to beat um, AC Milan at home um, and then they need uh, PSG not to win away to um, Borussia Dortmund. Um, Dortmund are already through, so I mean that's a problem um, as far as Newcastle are concerned, but you know, PSG's away performances would give anybody hope. I think um, this is a team that's lost 
Um, both of their away games so far, you know, were, were blitzed by um, Newcastle when, when they went to St James's Park. So um, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that, that Paris win um, in Dortmund. It's probably not a foregone conclusion that Newcastle win, given the amount of injuries that they've got. But I always think Newcastle are a different team at home. Um, they, they, you know, they always play on the front foot. They're much more aggressive at home than what they are um, away. They, you know, you've seen the teams they've already beaten at home this season. Paris Saint-Germain, they've beaten Arsenal. They've been, you know, absolutely thrashed Chelsea. Um, so I, I think that um, Newcastle can definitely win their game because uh, Milan have got just as many injuries at the moment as what Newcastle have got. So that's a bit of a leveller. But without getting into sort of cliche mode, you want to be reliant on just what you want to do. Um, and it, it's never a great feeling when you're relying on results elsewhere. So I actually think Newcastle can win their game. Um, it's then just whether um, you know Dortmund can do them a favour. It feels like, John, that there's way more injuries than we've seen in a long time within these... Premier League within the top clubs, you know, even around Europe. Yeah, it's 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 like some somewhere like they you hear injury crisis, mm-hmm. but it's just seems to be endemic. Um, so I don't know, is it something to do like we're in an era of sports science? Are, yeah. are they being overtrained? You know, is that something to really have to, you know, look at the at at, at the sort of back to basics principles on this because. Uh, and particularly in the women's games, like you yeah. know, I know the ACL side of it is a is a real concern. Um, so you want to have your best players on the pitch for everyone's sake. Yeah. So it probably does warrant um, some probing. Mm, there are lots of teams saying it's fatigue, but it does give opportunities. And I know look, we feel like we're kind of on Alex Murphy watch mm, now to see yeah. how he's going to get on. And uh, while injuries are tough for people, if it does open the door then for any young Irish players like we'll take that yeah he's certainly ahead of schedule Alex like I remember seeing him playing for Galway um, at 17 and like you, you can stereotype a player by saying that he's got a burst of pace but he really does um, Is he, what's he like yeah uh, he's, he's, he's a, he, he, like I said John Coffey led him in a back five as playing as a wing back yeah and, and he's uh, lefty is he oh he's, he's, a, he's yeah, a, yeah. a left sided yeah, yeah. yeah. Left, 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 left back or left wing back yeah um, but I also saw him playing for the Ireland under 19s. Um, actually, with you know, we're talking about James Banquet today, going back to Udinese, he was in the team with him. Um, but an excellent footballer, like a, that would have been apparent when he was 13 or 14. And Newcastle were in, in quite early. I know there was another, you know, a couple of other suitors in there as well. Um, and Newcastle, you know, they've, they've been signing Irish players, whether it's Carl Herford and yeah. Reese Bourne. And the fear was that all they were going to do really was to sort of fill their under 21 team. Um, but in fairness to Eddie Howe, um, he has pushed Alex. And they're, you know, they're a bit of an endangered species, less sided defenders. You know, they're always very popular and yeah. they sort of come with a premium. So um, at his age, to get where he is and to be even be amongst that, you know, that, that sort of stage and grace in that stage is brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll be keeping an eye on him with Newcastle mm. and hope that he gets more and more opportunities because we want the Ireland players playing at that level. Still, uh, nil all in those two early games Arsenal and PSV Eindhoven and Lons and Sevilla. Arsenal already through though, but it's seems um, that Arteta just wants to keep winning games going out in a high and I suppose he'll probably want to bounce back after the weekend as well Mark yeah yeah I, I mean I um, you know, I, I I always do wonder you know we're just talking there about injuries and um, it's been the same with Klopp really where I felt like they could have rotated more um, at, at times you know like this this type of game and 
Um, I've seen it in the Europa League where some fairly big players have sort of been turning out um, for Liverpool. And I, I actually think that the managers don't like to mess around too much and they, they probably do just want to win matches and, and keep winning games and I think that even if it doesn't really matter what level you put out there Arteta you're right I, I think does just want to um, you know get back to winning ways um, and kind of set the standards because um, it, it can quickly go from like being on a good run to suddenly losing three in a row um, and it, it just changes the whole dynamic so um, I, I mean the, the, the game doesn't matter um, for Arsenal but um, I, I suppose it would, you know, it, it benefits them just from a confidence point of view if they can um, win the game. It, it's difficult enough. Uh, PSV are very strong at home um, in Hindhoven, 20-odd games now without defeat. So, um, you know, it would have been good actually to have seen those two teams at full tilt to, um, to, to you know, to, to, to have seen where the levels were at. But, yeah, I think you're right. I, I, you, they, they just don't like to lose matches. That's where they get to where they are, I suppose, isn't it? Elite sports people um, by just determined to win every single time John Fallon has just informed me there's been a goal in that Arsenal game John yeah Eddie and Ketta yeah just three minutes before half time so even with their second string <laughs> and PSV's great home record yeah. you know Arsenal there yeah winning, well you could so. tell from listening to Arteta like that he wanted to win as many games in that group and and as he possibly could um, obviously already out of it as our Man City and we'll see how um, Man United and Newcastle go this evening um, Mark just on that uh, incident in Turkey that happened last night could you just tell us mm. a little bit about what happened yeah so um, Anka Raguchu uh, playing Riza Sport um, there was um, kind of, uh, Anka Raguchu were, um, were, were winning 1-0 then had a player sent off Riza Sport um, equalised deep um, into injury time um, and then the, um, the, the the president of um, Anka Raguchu, uh, Farak Kocha, he um, he came onto the pitch in a very aggressive uh, manner um, and, and punched the referee in the face. Uh, the referee, um, Mella, who um, you know, is on the FIFA list and has um, managed um, you know, high-profile European games. While he was on the floor, um, he was also kicked by um, other people. Um, Kocha has been arrested. He's resigned um, as president of, of the club. Um, Turkish football has been suspended. There's going to be like a crisis meeting um, tomorrow. The referee remains in the hospital, hoping that he can um, come out tomorrow, but clearly shaken up and, um, you know, the, the pictures of his face did not make for, um, for you know, for, for comfortable viewing. Um, you know, it's a, a absolutely sort of disgraceful scene um, and one that I, I think has sent shockwaves around the world. Um, and, you know, for it to happen in kind of, you know, a big European league, um, you know, there've been a lot of problems over there at sort of grassroots um, level, but you know, we're now seeing this in a in a, in a high-profile league. Um, yeah, I mean it's absolutely disgusting, and I don't know if it will bring about change um, and sort of attitudes towards referees, but I certainly hope that it does um, because um, clearly, you know, this type of behaviour just can't go on. Yeah, it's it, those clips are just shameful, and you'd hope even the fact that it did go viral that has gone around the world that people can see that type of behaviour and know that it's in existence and hopefully become something that isn't acceptable but given the amount of issues that are as you said on the grassroots level it's hard to see it being totally eradicated but um, definitely something needs to be got to be done uh, Mark a big uh, retirement in Italian football 
Yeah, um, Chiellini, um, you know, uh, the real stalwart of um, Italian football and, um, you know, of course won the Euros and um, was that a couple of years ago now um, and, you know, just being a, yeah, a legend really of that Italian um, defence. Him and Benucci kind of just went together, didn't they, for club and country, Juventus and, and Italy, um, part of that formidable war with Buffon, uh, behind them, he more recently moved out um, to MLS. I, I don't sort of watch the MLS. I, I can't. I, I'd be lying if I knew sort of how he'd done um, over in the states. But um, you know, he he's somebody that um, was 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 a real character. Um, you know, in European football, always enjoyed the way that he defended. Absolutely loved um, defending. Didn't mind if he kind of you know was part of the dark arts and. Would, 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 would occasionally leave a stud in on, on somebody but um, I, I think he was generally you know really well um, just received and, and liked really in European football and um, yeah de- deserves to retire I think he's 39 now so um, you know, he's been at the top for a long time yeah, 23 year career um, pretty amazing Mark Langdon um, of the Racing Post as always thank you so much for joining us we're going to take a very quick break John Fallon might stay with us for another while um, we'll be back very shortly looking at whether or not we might see a GA player in the NFL Game On on 2FM now, welcome back. We are going to talk about a very interesting story about two GA goalkeepers who have an opportunity to move closer to a professional American football contract in early 2024. It brings up to speed on all the details. I'm joined by Conor McKeown of the Irish Independent. How are you, Conor? Good, mate. Well, I'm really interested in this story for loads of reasons, but just the thoughts of two of the goalkeepers that we watch every summer on the big stage, inter-county goalkeepers heading over to the NFL, to the Combine, and could possibly be in a squad in the NFL. It's just mind-blowing. Tell us about it, Connor. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, I think, like, particularly Rory Bagan is somebody that we're all very, very familiar with now, and he's in his early 30s, and he's one of the... You know, he's one of the kind of Stonehenge, uh, you know, kind of uh, rocks of our GAA summer. And the idea that he's he's suddenly about to, um, he's suddenly about to go to a, a new code, and not just any new code, mm-hmm. you know, like one of the the biggest and glitziest leagues in the world. Um, it, it is quite mind blown. Like we, you know, it's not completely new. There were there were talks, I think, around 2005 that Colin Corkery um, had been informally sounded out. Um, about from by the New Jersey Nets about a an revolver, and I suppose the, the the nub of this where it comes from is just that you know the kicking action in American football for the place kickers and uh, the goal kickers is very very similar to Gaelic footballers, and I think if you look, um, I suppose if if you look at Began and Mark Jackson as well, who has a very similar kicking style, not only do they have great distance and accuracy, but they they have that really punchy strike where they can only they only need a couple of steps to kick the ball. You know, I'm sure it wouldn't work for a Charlie Redmond or somebody who takes seven <laughs> steps back and has a little pause when three people are trying to tackle you. But um, you know, that seems to be why their suitability um, for this has been recognised. And uh, you know, it's really interesting. I'm just off the phone with Ushi McCampbell, Mark Jackson's manager in Wicklow, and and you know, he said that was definitely not a conversation that he was expecting to be having as they were starting their preparations for the second year and I think like Jackson the chances are that Began 
we'll devote everything to preparing for this combine um, at the end of February, start of March. So, you know, I mean, that's a large chunk of the pre-season and very much a large chunk of Monaghan's league. So, um, you know, it's a very interesting development, but not least for those two counties. Big time, yeah. And so tell me, how did it even get to this stage? Yeah, so, so in September, um, the NFL brought in a new um, rule where essentially... Uh, all the NFL teams were entitled to draft an additional international player. So effectively, it was to encourage NFL players to look outside the you know the usual draft routes, um, you know collegiate American football for talent, uh, and they could do so without wasting a place on their roster. Um, now, obviously, if you're not going through the American college system, the chances are. Um, you know, the chances of finding a ready-made quarterback for the NFL or a ready-made linebacker um, who will be of that standard are very, very slim. Um, so I think that's why they reckoned that that, that play kicking could be an area um, where the skills are, are quite transferable. So there was a there was a combine in London in October. There were four Irish players there. Um, the two players who we mentioned, Mark Jackson and Rory Began. Um I think Niall Morgan might have been another one. Um, and um, from that, um, they are now going to another uh, combine in Indianapolis, at, as I said, at the end of February. So, you know, they're going, they're going to go there. They're going to be kicking in front of talent scouts. Um, and you would imagine between now and then, they will have a huge amount of... Um, I suppose repetitions and everything else that you need to do to get yourself ready for it because the Irish guys who have gone over there or are over there now say Ross Bulger from Leash um, he and a few of the Irish guys who are playing college football in the States they're punters you know which is a different discipline um, now I think Ross Bulger has designs of becoming a goal kicker as well um, or ultimately that's where he wants the thing to end up but um, you know this is this is very niche and it's very specific um, and it's just very interesting that, that these Two guys in particular are, are, I suppose, off that standard. Like they get a sense of it too, you know. Um, you know, the American football and the Gaelic football, the size five. The, you know, the, the size five is probably about twenty percent heavier in weight um, by the regulations, um, and the sweet spot on the American football is probably a small bit smaller. Um, but talking to people just today who have done both, they reckon it's very, very similar um, in how you strike the ball. There's not a huge amount. Of variation or adjustment that would need to be made in terms of kicking action, um, which obviously you know you don't want somebody who's 31, 32 having to retrain something that they've done a, a thousand times. Um, so uh, you know, I suppose that's it. All fits into the pot, and, and it will be very interesting. You know, I think we all kind of fall in love with the notion that Gaelic footballers and hurlers are, are these divine athletes, and, and they would be able to go into any sport in the world, you know, if they had a chose otherwise. But I think this may well be one of those occasions when there's a certain element of truth in it. The two Johnnies I was on with them earlier, and we were talking about this. They went to Nebraska on making one of their TV programs, and they said they gave it a go, and it was actually all right kicking the ball. So if they can do it, is what I'm saying. These um, actual athletes should be uh, well able. Will the GA journalist be heading over to cover the combine in Indianapolis in February, Connor? Yeah, I hope so, Marie. Yeah, yeah, I'm available for all. Uh, yeah, yeah, and Augusta in, is in is in August, is in April, so I might stay over there while I'm there. But it, you know, it'd be a very interesting. Um, it would be a very interesting one. Like if you, you know, if you even take that, you know, the the the, the world record for a field goal in American football, I think it was set, set in 2021, and uh, I think it was 60 meters. It was, was the length uh, Justin Tucker at the Baltimore Ravens, and that was in the dome when there was no wind. So 60 meters is a big kick, but um, I think it was a 2018 the game in Clonus when David Clifford scored that ridiculous goal from the corner. I think Rory Began 
had a kick out that travelled 77 metres that day. So, you know, even allowing for the win factor and everything else, um, you know, it does seem that the, that the two goalkeepers in question who are definitely two of the best exponents of, of, of kicking, um, it does seem that what they have is very much, um, it's very much kind of uh, part of the skill set of what a good goalkeeper comes to. And, you know, if they need somebody to interview them over in Indianapolis in February, I'm more than available. Yeah. Sounds like a good plan. And what's a, like I've seen combines and I've seen videos of loads of different things that now usually they're like college kids and they're they're trying to get picked up. But will they will they be expected to do more than just kick the ball when they go over? Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's going to be scale small 32 teams. So, you know, the, the, I suppose the combines I would be more familiar with are the AFL combines, yeah. um, you know, the, the Australian rules. And a lot of those... Um, come down to physical metrics you know you often hear about you know a 20 meter sprint or a standing jump and you know such yeah. and such a player set a new record for this yeah. um, because they're obviously looking at young players and, and uh, you know the idea is that you know you have you have certain motor skills and they could be adapted to playing with the ball this seems to be the reverse of that which they already uh, expect that the, the, the players have the I suppose the aptitude with the ball um, and like as you know kickers in NFL they don't spend very much time on the pitch they don't have to do a huge array of other things you know they're special teams they come on when they kick goals and they come on to kick the ball off after a touchdown or a field goal or at the start of the two halves so um, you know I would I would imagine that this is literally what they're going to be doing. Um, now, how they test that, you know, under what conditions, you know, in what environment, you know, I think from the snap to the kick, it's usually something like 0.8 seconds. And not always is the ball sort of put perfectly down on the tee. So I think the players kick, at, you know, the kind of swing essentially starts before the ball lands. So there's a lot of kind of, I suppose, timing that goes into it. Um, and I'm sure they'll throw a few curve balls where, where, where the ball is kind of, um, the ball is spiked in such a way that they don't have a clear strike and they have to adjust. So um, that will come into it. But I suppose because it's so specific, because what they're looking for from these players um, is such a very narrow and focused task, you would imagine that, that they will just you know, gauge them on how they can kick. And mm-hmm. part of that would be distance and part of that would be accuracy. Well, you sound like you know what you're talking about anyway, Connor. Like, I'd send you if it, if it was me. But even when you think about the the evolution of Gaelic, Gaelic, of uh, goalkeepers over the last decade or so and the amount of restarts and the importance of restarts, you would think that they, the two of them, and, and, and probably a lot more if they hear about this, would have really good highlights reels because the goalkeepers are in play so much. Well, like I don't know, like I would imagine in most GA clubs around the country now, um, very much different to the way it was twenty years ago. That that there are a much higher percentage of people who want to be goalkeepers yeah. because what you get to do in Gaelic football as a goalkeeper is now a completely, it's a completely different discipline and it's a, it's a very interesting discipline. Like obviously, once it was about saves and and catching high balls, and then it became about kickouts, but. You know, one of the big tactical evolutions in Gaelic football over the last couple of years, and one you would imagine that we'll see over the next few years, is that idea of the the goalkeeper as the out ball. So Aaron Lynch, I think, in Derry this year was a brilliant example of it. When Derry um, retained their own short kickout and Kerry marked all the Derry outfield players, effectively Aaron Lynch had a free ball and he kept going as far up the pitch as he could until one of the Kerry players left their man. And then you saw Garrett McKinless getting in a couple of times. He got one goal and he nearly got two. So it's become a very, very pivotal position. And I think maybe that's why... um, 
there are moves afoot to maybe outlaw the back pass to the goalkeeper because even in a situation in Gaelic football now where you're going to man-to-man defensively um, you know you're not going to step up and mark the, the opposition goalkeeper because it's a very handy pass and it's a very handy possession retention but I suppose you know not to go on a ramble but uh, you know while it is the way it is at the moment um, you know any inter-county manager at the top end that isn't looking at utilising their goalkeeper in that way you know as an outball as potentially a playmaker whatever about as a place kicker um, you know they're probably missing a beat yeah, look, next season I think it's going to be really interesting from that perspective, but it's going to be interesting as well to see what happens in February at this Combine. Uh, Conor McKeown, thank you so much for joining us. It is definitely a story that we are going to be keeping an eye on. We're going to take a very quick break. Do stay with us. Alex Kobe is joining us next. Game on on 2FM. Now, welcome back. It is halftime in those Champions League games. Lons and Sevilla is nil all and Arsenal leading PSV Eindhoven by one goal to nil. I'm delighted to be joined now by Alex Kobe. Alex has just returned home from nine weeks in America working and racing for top US car team Random Vandals Racing and she recently competed at two iconic racing tracks in the States and she's going to tell us all about her career. First of all, Alex, how old are you? I am only 19. You're only 19. That is pretty amazing now to be coming back um, from America after nine weeks racing, uh, car racing, I might add, and to be here with us. It's um, it, you've, you've only started out, but already you're, you're making such a brilliant mark. But I'm going to start because a lot of people wouldn't know you. It's, uh, it's, you're so young and it's a sport that um, not too, people, many, too many people will be familiar with. But tell us just first how you got involved in motorsport, karting, all that sort of stuff. So growing up, I was always part of a racing family. My dad started karting when he was in his teenage years and continued on until I was about a year old, had his own racing team. So basically my mom was walking around a racetrack pregnant on me. It was in the blood without being directly injected. Um, And so my dad decided when I was six, he'd throw me out into a cart and they said I took to it like a duck to water. And the rest is history. It is never looked back every year consecutively I've been on a racetrack and I would have it no other way that's amazing it just shows your environment doesn't it like what you're exposed to and um, how you become a product of that but to even hear that you've you took it straight away um, that's great because once the family are invested in you and to be able to support you it's fantastic so how did you progress then like to get to being a young girl in a go-kart to racing on a circuit in the states how does that happen so I've been in carts up until recently, up until October. I've been doing it for 14 years um, with a bit of car racing in between. Um, a good friend of mine, Nikki Daly, who uh, competed in the Olympics with yeah. hockey, she introduced me to Paul Sparta, who runs Random Bundles Racing. Her cousin raced IndyCar and obviously had a connection there. And so she introduced me to Paul and Paul loved my story, wanted me to come over. And Paul seen something in me not a lot of people did and decided he'd take a chance. I didn't even have my full licence at home and Paul said, come over to Road Atlanta, I want you to race my BMW and I did and I won. First time <laughs> no ever way. in a car, not <laughs> even having my licence. And so he took that chance to me and now we're here. Now I'm living over there, living the dream, seeing more places than I've ever seen in my life in the past two months. It's crazy. That is great. But you've taken the opportunity as well, Alex, because often people get opportunities and, and they don't make the most of them. But it seems to be that you've got grabbed it with both hands, which is really admirable for somebody so young. Um, what's it been like being away? 
it's been <laughs> the first four weeks were so hard. I was so homesick and I had so many doubts. I was like, I'll just come home. I'll live a normal life. It's fine. I'm content. I was that homesick. Um, and then, so yeah, after the four weeks, I was like, do you know what? No, I can really do this. I was able, I was traveling. I was going to tracks. It was, it was just the norm again. And I said, do you know what? No, I absolutely love this. And yes, it's hard being so young and leaving my family so young. I have a 26 year old brother who still lives at home and I think my parents are a bit heartbroken that I left before he did. Um, but now I absolutely love it. I used to think about going home every day and then the last five weeks all I want to do is stay there and I've come home now and yes I'm absolutely delighted to be home but I cannot wait to get back. John it sounds like a footballer heading off to move to the UK doesn't it? Yeah but yeah but there's a big difference between the UK and the US like it's uh, yeah time but difference admiration for you yeah time difference being the big one and jet lag and all that goes yeah. with it so Is it hard what you do? Like tell us like what, what exactly are you doing Alex? So, yeah, it, it is hard. You know, all sports are hard mentally, physically. You know, it, it is hard. A lot of people growing up would tell me, I don't understand it. Why do you have to go to the gym? I don't I don't get why you have to do so much practice. All you do is sit there and turn the wheel <laughs> and move your feet. I'm like, it's okay, not like being we'll on the have this conversation <laughs> when you do it. Um, it is quite difficult. I think for me, I do a lot of endurance stuff in the mm-hmm. BMW. So we have power steering, we have ABS, we have a lot of things that do help, but you also need to be physically fit to sit in the exact same position for two hours, three hours straight, and then mentally you have to be so strong to be able to keep your cool that whole time. So who are you racing against? I'm racing against a lot of people. My last race in Coda, um, I was racing against 80 other cars. I finished seventh. And it's men and women? Men and women, yeah, sorry. Um... Like at the at the moment, I only do WRL, so it's not a pro series. Um, I hope to do the pro series, which um, you'll you'll soon like see a lot of big names, I big names in America, um, over there, and a lot of people travel from different parts of the world to do, do these pro series. You know, you see like Roman Grosjean doing IndyCar. Like I hope to be racing that kind of level at those kind of tracks that's what I aspire to be that's what I want to do with my life it sounds like you're on the right track to fulfill your dreams but what do you need to do now to get there I just need to keep my head (laughs) I just need to keep putting myself out there saying yes to every opportunity that comes along and that's what I've done so far you know I, I was in fifth year I got asked to move over to America never thinking about leaving home ever and I just said yes that's what I needed to do and look where I am now like I've accomplished so much in the past two months just from saying yes so I can't imagine where I'm going to be at the end of next year It's amazing actually talking to you as well um, just only days after Rosemary Smith passed away and she was such a pioneer and a trailblazer was she somebody that inspired you? Yeah I think Rosemary definitely inspired a lot of people the things she did was amazing at, for for so long like the woman was 86 and I seen her last year at a Mondello event and it's so sad like it would have been around this time last year and it's just it's heartbreaking because when I seen her she was so well and she was so full of life just I'd say from she was running off the passion of motorsport and yeah it's heartbreaking the news but to see what she accomplished mm. it is sad to see that the majority of what she accomplished was being the best female instead of the best of 
motorsports you know that kind mm-hmm. of way people tiled her as the best female instead of the best driver which she was the things she's accomplished without even people even realizing it you know as an equal not even just yeah. as a as a female and i'll always say that i i don't want to be compared as the best female or one of the top females i want to be known as one of the top drivers i want to be a professional racing driver not a professional female racing driver i don't want to be split I'd imagine, um, Alex, that when it comes to your sport, that funding and backing is really important. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, a lot of people say be the female, it comes along, sponsorships come along a lot easier. I personally don't agree. I think you just need to have a talent. Um, it, it's quite upsetting to have to say I had to move across the world to find an opportunity mm-hmm. that... I was in a rut for so many years of doing the exact same thing in Ireland and not really progressing. I didn't, you know, there was no one in the country, sadly. We don't have the programmes to push drivers, young drivers or female drivers. We don't have a big Mm. motorsport platform here apart from rallying. And yeah, it's quite sad that I had to move halfway across the world to accomplish something the way I have. But... I'm, those opportunities are coming so much quicker over there which is sad to say but you're certainly flying the flag anyway that's for sure Alex and you're doing brilliant and um, I've enjoyed following your career to date still only 19 over in the over in the States making your way looking forward to seeing what you do next where you go enjoy the Christmas break enjoy being home uh, John thank you so much for coming in any updates for me before we finish up on any of these games um, well, just a bit, sorry, but put my Man United hat on, I just see that. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, we're out of time, I'm only joking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I don't know whether it's good or bad news, but Marcus Rashford isn't available. Okay. It's down to illness, but Rasmus, right. Rasmus Hoyland is in there, who uh, all the uh, pressure is on his shoulders. But just in terms of updates, PSV have equalised, we now won all. Okay, but Arsenal are already through, so um, I'm sure Arteta won't mind too much. Uh, thank you so much, Alex and John. That is all we have time for. Shane will be here tomorrow um, with lots more football reaction and uh, some women's camogie and ladies football as well.